horses are at the gate. And they're off. Welcome to Winning Ponies. With the weekend coming up, this is the spot to be for news, handicapping, and spotlights featuring the winners behind horse racing today. Now, here's your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. All right, good to have you with me. Otherwise, it'd just be me sitting in this room by myself, talking to myself. Appreciate you being here. Well, uh, another big weekend is, is coming up, just as another one has just passed. And uh, this will be, I believe, the last of the big Breeders' Cup preps. And they're all taking place at Belmont Park, four races, all of them grade ones worth a quarter million dollars. Now, the two-year-olds will start to show out uh, in two earlier races, the fourth and fifth, and that would be uh, the champagne for the boys and the frisette for the two-year-old ladies. And then a little bit later in the card, I uh, hope the weather stays good in the Big Apple, a uh, mile and a quarter on the turf it's the flower bowl for fillies and mares. Of course, they're all grade ones and all a quarter million. And it winds up with the mile and a quarter Belmont Park Jockey Club Gold Cup, an infamous race in its own right. So uh, that is what's going to be on the card. And the guest handicapper we're bringing in is none other than Eric Wing from horse tourneys. So Eric will be telling you where to go after you pull down your winning ponies, easy win forms. And, uh, it's a pretty competitive race. What I've got to find is the races before, <clears throat> cause that they didn't team these up. So you could do a straight pick four. So we got to look at the third and the sixth. Then we got to look at the seventh and the tenth if you want to play uh, pick threes with these big races in, involved. And uh, speaking of the easy win forms that you can pull down, uh, another good week from all over the world. Not the world, but North America, okay? Um Santa Anita four days ago, uh, we had a $1 Super 5 box that paid $2,200. Also on the West Coast, uh, Golden Gate paid $2,239 and a $1 Super 5. Let's go north of the border to Woodbine. Uh, this was six days ago, October 2nd, 3824 That was a $0.20 cent pick six so that was the action that we were successful with and there's more you can go to the winning pony site and you'll be able to see it you'll also get to see you know graphs of you know how you can uh, use the information that that they give out to you again it's a very very uh, affordable and and a great way to go and you know especially with the breeders cup ramping up here shortly you're going to want to uh, take their best bets well um i am not to be remiss in announcing our other guest and it will be a new guest we've never had on before and that is dorothy hours now <clears throat> dorothy is going to be with another author uh jennifer kelly uh, who wrote sir barton and the making of the triple crown on a uh, 
well, virtual uh, discussion about a very interesting race. So Dorothy Hours is the expert on man of war. And <clears throat> Jennifer Kelly is the author or the expert on Sir Barton. They are going to talk about a race that happened 100 years ago by two horses. Hey, you don't have to be a great historian to know, to know these names. We're talking about Man of War and Sir Barton meeting in the 1920th Kenilworth Gold Cup. So this will be an online program hosted by the National Museum of Racing, and they'll be kind of talking about the race and hopefully going back and forth a little bit and having some fun. But, uh, you know, Dorothy uh, is uh, a, a very good author. Uh, each of her uh, last two books has been honored as a finalist for the Dr. Tony Ryan's Book Award. And the, the last one on the big guy, Man of War, A Legend Like Lightning. And so uh, we'll be talking about uh, the individual that has become a racing myth. Um, so I hate to start the show out on a negative. I won't call it a negative, but it's sad because this guy uh, was a friend of mine, uh, Rick Lee. Uh, he, he was a steward, racing secretary. Uh, he passed away this week at the age of 73. Now, uh, I first met him when he was a racing official at, at River Downs, but uh, he really uh, kind of sailed the boat at Turfway Park, where he was the racing secretary for just about 25 years. And then he, uh, he I'd always see him down at Keeneland as a racing official up there. I uh, never failed to stop and say hello. Uh, Rick Lee, I mean, he was just a, a guy you couldn't help but embrace once you got to know him. Uh, loved to laugh, uh, uh, loved to, uh, you know, uh, go out and have a little bit of fun after the races. And now his stepson is Tyler Picklesheimer, and he is now the director of racing and secretary of racing at Turfway Park. So, uh, you know, Tyler, another good guy, uh, followed in his uh, stepfather's footsteps, um, starting out as a steward. And uh, Picklesheimer is also racing secretary at Kentucky Downs and a racing official at Churchill Downs. Now, Rick was at Turfway when the place was hopping, and uh, he put together a series of races. I wish they still existed. They were great. Uh, first of all, he got he was there for the installation of the first North American poly, uh, paramutual track that raced on poly track. And then at Turfway, the series of races I'm talking about is the Kentucky Cup. And boy, they were pop the place would be packed. And uh, I mean, it brought in horses. The greatest, one of the greatest races I ever saw was the 1997 uh, uh, matchup in the Kentucky Cup Classic uh, between Silver Charm and Wild Rush. And they went down the stretch neck and neck, bob for bob, bob for bob. But at the wire, couldn't split them. And it was a dead heat. It was a great series. And, of course, uh, Rick oversaw all that. And before I knew Rick, I knew his wife, Amy. I worked with her in um, promotions and marketing at River Downs. Uh, just super great people. Really sorry for, for the loss of uh, Rick. All right. Just clearing my throat there. Uh, so um, news about New York's 
happens this time of year. Uh, sometimes you'd like to keep your horse around for the Breeders' Cup Classic, but that's not always the way. Uh, McKenzie is going to be retired to Gainsway Farm. I mean, he was a four-time grade one winner. He's a son of street sense. Uh, his uh, fee has not been announced yet, as most of them aren't. But, you know, uh, uh, Bob Baffert trainee, uh, his, his highlights are victories in the 2019 Whitney Stakes at Saratoga, um, the 2018 Malibu Stakes at Santa Anita, the Pennsylvania Derby at Parks, uh, the Sham Stakes at Santa Anita, and uh, the cash call futurity at Los Alamitos Racecourse. Because as you can see, a great stakes winner at one, two, three, and four. Not many horses can do that. And, and Mackenzie did. He also ran 11 triple digit buyer speed figures. And on the way out, cashed in $3,473. So uh he he's not only done what he did on the track, but he's got a pedigree to boost. His dam was third in the Breeders' Cup Juvenile, and uh, second in the Ashland Stakes. So he's retired. And then Grade One winner Gift Box, he's been retired, going to Lane's End. He's a seven-year-old son of of Twirling Candy, uh, who uh, amassed uh, racing victories from two through six. The interesting thing is he's going to be. Uh, retired as the highest earning son of uh, Twirling Candy. He's there. And he's also going to join his grandsire, Candy Ride, at Lane's End. Very unique, I must say. All right. Of course, last week's races. Can't forget the unbelievable, fantastic, scintillating performance by Swiss Skydiver. The Philly beating the boys in the grade one Preakness stakes, a million dollars. What a great rate. Now there's some questions in the air. Is she going to go to the distaff? Is she going to go to the classic? I heard different things from the, the trainer and the owner. We'll find out what finally shakes out. Second, the Kentucky Derby winner was authentic, who was very, very game and trying to give uh, Bob Baffert uh, his eighth Preakness stakes. Authentic was game. Uh, back in third, uh, it was a long shot, 40 to 1, Jesus's team, who was just ahead of Art Collector. So it'll be very interesting to see what is in store for Swiss Skydiver down the road. Okay, I'll try to get through these as good as I can. Also on the card was the Black Eyed Susan. That went to Miss Marisa, uh, scoring her third consecutive win and uh, was... Uh, uh, second was Bonnie South, who was last on the turn and put in a big late move and just missed. Then we had the grade one spinster stakes at Keeneland. Now, this was on Sunday, and the winner there was Valiance, who raided very well. Uh, had to really fight the, the, the final eighth of a mile with Ollie's candy. Uh, but uh, Pletcher and Sayaz won both rated stakes races on the card that day. So uh, congratulations to the connections of Valiance. All right. Keeneland, when and you're in the bourbon, that was a big one going to Mustabek. If I'm saying that, he was last into the stretch and exploded wide under Luis Saez. And, I mean, this was like an Arazi-like move. It was just fantastic. Remember that name, 
Musta Bag. You can look up the spelling someplace else. Also, the Grade 1 Shadwell Turf Mile. Uh, that uh, Grade 1 race was captured by Ivar, um, who was uh, by a Japanese stallion, uh, was bred in Brazil, <clears throat> and started his racing career undefeated in Argentina. <laughs> Ivar, the Brazilian bred. Also, we had the first lady at Keeneland, and the winner in there was Uni, <clears throat> put in a game stretch run, and uh, lasted over Bo Recall, who just got up. Claiborne Breeders Futurity winning your in for the babies, and the winner there, Essential Quality, Brad Cox, gets uh, the win with Louis Say as fat fought on the front and just took over on the turn. And let's not forget the ladies, the Alcibiades. And how about this? Simply ravishing. Ken McPeak went wire to wire over the Ken McPeak train. Crazy beautiful. One, two in the Alcibiades. Hey, Swiss Skydiver is not the only top filly in his barn for sure. And then we had the grade one uh, Joe Hurst Turf Classic. Uh, the uh, winner horse I won and lost a lot of money on over the years. Channel maker coming off a win in the Sword Dancer uh, got the top spot there in the Joe Hurst Turf Classic. And for two-year-olds, it was the Pilgrim and the winner in there. Fire at Will slowed the pace down and got away in the stretch after lulling him with a 50.35 first half mile. Whew. Okay, I'm about out of breath, but I get to take a little bit of a break, and I'm going to let Dorothy Hours do most of the talking about uh, her uh, book and about the uh, session she's going to have with uh, the big writer of the Sir Barton book. So it's Man of War versus Sir Barton. Who won? Well, you probably know, but Dorothy will fill us in on the details. I'm John Engelhart. You're listening to Winning Ponies. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with winningponies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let winningponies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll free. 1-866-472-5788 or send us an email at show at winningponies.com 
John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and this week the timing is perfect for our next guest because tomorrow's going to be a, a dull Friday night. You're going to be getting ready for the racing action over the weekend or maybe some of your favorite football games, but you, you, you got you got time on Friday. So get up, grab a cup of coffee, 11 in the morning, and there's going to be a program uh, uh, moderated by, uh, by Brian Bouillet from the Museum Hall of Fame with authors Jennifer T- Kelly and I want to introduce everybody to Dorothy Hours. Dorothy, thanks for being with us. Oh, uh, it's a treat. Thank you for inviting me. Well, uh, before we get into the book and uh, what's going to be, uh, you know, on the program, uh, tell us a little bit about your background, what what got your interest going in races. I, I know that, like so many great horses, you have a great pedigree that led to your being an author <laughs> about horses. Well, I, it's a mystery why I was born loving horses, but there was just always a fascination. And the short version is many years later, we found a letter from my great-grandfather who was in the Army in uh, during the World War One period. Who it, He was describing riding in a steeplechase on an Army base. So who knew, you know, maybe <laughs> it was this little influence from this uh, distant ancestor. Um, but just always loved horses who gravitate to anything about them. And uh, my dad loved sports. He loved to um, follow the Calumet stable, actually, when he was a kid in the 1940s. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing at all. So he would, you know, mention Citation and Armed and Coaltown and so on and so on. And um, it it just, uh, so he encouraged that fascination. And uh, both he and my mother really loved history, and so we grew up in a household where if you were on a long car trip, Dad might be pointing out, oh, okay, in this town such and such happened way back when. So you put that all together, and um, I finally, the curiosity as a fan of horse racing was too much, and I started digging into microfilm, because, yeah, this was back before the Internet. Mm -hmm. Um, and uh, looking at, oh, what did the New York Times say about Man of War when he did such and such? And started to notice that there were these details that I'd never run across. And this is the kid who would check out every horse book in the library. So it, the idea, you know, germinated over a number of years that, gosh, there's a lot of information here that as a fan, I want to know it. And instead of making everybody go to microfilm, you know, trying to put it all together, <laughs> when I started getting this collection of goodies, it felt like, well, this this needs to be a book. You know, somehow this is going to be a book. And so here we are all these years later, and it's been a book for a while. And we're into the hundred years since Man of War's racing career uh, wrapped up, since we're getting all too close to that point. Um his final race was October 12th of 1920, the famous match race against the Triple Crown winner, Sir Barton. 
And even though the Triple Crown was not an official thing yet in the United States in 1920, Sir Barton was very much recognized as a champion. And of all the older horses, you know, he carried the hopes that maybe someone could really press Man of War and, um, you know, maybe even beat him. But Man of War would, you know, he would give Man of War a significant challenge was the feeling to really Uh, establish how great he was. Now, uh, of, of course, uh, you you have penned Man of War, a legend like Lightning, and uh, I did get get a chance to read uh, Jennifer Kelly's book, uh, uh, Sir Barton, and she also, like you, is, is an excellent researcher. Um, it's certainly yeah. not boring, c- colorful, uh, but uh, she paints the picture of the place where um, the the Kenilworth Gold Cup would take place. And I believe at the time it was the richest prize in horse racing, uh, not necessarily the Gold Cup, but the $75,000 purse was a record purse for a single race. But my, my, mm-hmm. my question is, I want to hear your description because I read her description uh, uh, from the mouths of uh, uh, certain people that she was quoting in the book and that uh, they just... Uh, thought that, uh, let's say, Kettleworth was maybe a, a bleak and gloomy wilderness on the outskirts yes. of an industrial city of Windsor. So, uh, you know, instead of running at Saratoga or Arve de Grasse, you know, the big races back then, um, d- d- describe the, the twisted road to Kettleworth. Well, um it kind of began at Saratoga because Sir Barton was doing great things. Man of War was doing great things. Their trainers were basically trash-talking each other on the pack stretch in the mornings. And um, the owners very quickly realized that they had gold. And um, I think Mr. Riddle had legitimate reasons for wanting to delay putting Man of War against the older horses. For one thing... The Travers was his big goal for the Saratoga meet, and it was the richest race at that meet. Um, it, financially, it wouldn't make sense to go, oh, sure, we'll, we'll race against the older horses in, in races that will bring us much less in return financially. So he, he had a couple of um, major targets for three-year-olds only that he wanted to scoop up those purses. And then after that, well, we'll see, you know, about the older horses. He wasn't sure. saying he wouldn't do it. He was just postponing. But um, Commander Ross, Sir Barton's era owner, was on the record as saying that he would race for a blue ribbon if the Saratoga Association would offer it. Uh, they didn't. But Matt Wynn in Kentucky, who, you know, is famous as the a tremendous promoter of the Kentucky Derby. Um, he was right on it. He started trying to get a match race together for them in Kentucky for 25000 And it's like, well, you know, we'll see. Other people jumped in, and it started getting serious about a month after the original offer. The momentum had grown to the point where there was this promoter from Canada, Abe Orpen, of Kenilworth Park out in Windsor, Ontario, across the lake from Detroit, um, who he was just proactive as all get out. He he not only sent 
uh, telegrams to the owners when the racing had moved down to Maryland in the autumn, you know, offering the $50,000 at that point, he got on a train and he got right down there. And then in person, he offered them 75. And he was just in time because Matt Wynn in Kentucky was just about to come over with a $75,000 offer. And, um, but it, it seems as if Commander Ross, being Canadian, really did have, um, you know, he said he would love for it to be in Maryland. There had been an offer from Laurel Park. Um, but, you know, it's easy to think it, he knew Orpin from way back when. And, you know, what a thing this would be to bring Man of War to Canada. So, and I think Sam Riddle really, one place was as good as another to him. You know, he was just wanted the world record purse, so Man of War would be the greatest earning American horse. And uh, that's how the deal was done. I'd love to be able to slide into the room and hear them doing it, but um, is there anything else in particular you want to know about it? Um, no, no, no. I, I will tell you this. Uh, if you ever decide not to be an author, you should be on a variety show and radio. You have a wonderful voice. <sighs> Well, that's from a misspent youth as a theater major. Aha! <laughs> that was it's my college revealed. major. It Aha. is. <laughs> we, we, we pull the curtain back on Dorothy Hours, but anyhow, yep. you, you're doing well. So what what do we expect to hear uh, tomorrow morning uh, uh, during your uh, Zoom webinar? By the way, I want to tell everybody, if they just go to the National uh, museum hall of fame they'll be able to get the website because it's 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 a link and it's uh, maybe two letters longer than the alphabet so if, yeah, if you exactly. just go to the national museums hall of fame uh you'll be able to see it right there and you can click right on with no problem and that'll be at 11 o'clock in the morning right yes eastern time I should have mentioned that, <laughs> but yeah, it's in the I mean, registration yeah, form. I've already been up and walked the dog. But um, <laughs> now, 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 you and Jennifer, are you guys going to uh, put the gloves on and spar? Who was better? You know, Spartan yeah, we, did this, might... but Man of War ain't lost one race. Da 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 da. So we're just going to be a friendly history expose. On the, I, t- tell us more details about the race itself. I mean, it's not like you're giving away any ending. We all know Man no. of War. But tell us a little bit about the excitement and and kind of the race itself, uh, you know, because you guys go into detail about what's going through the owners' minds, what's going through the jockeys' minds, directions they were given. I'll shut up and let you talk. Well, part of the excitement, come to find out, um, was that it was in Canada, and Canada did not have prohibition. The U.S. had prohibition by then. It was dry. You weren't. Yeah. And so, you know, above the border there, just three and a half miles from Detroit, uh, people didn't care what you were imbibing. So uh, I actually found a cartoon of a in a newspaper of, um, you know, a train load of people. You know, how's the weather up in Canada? Very wet. <laughs> Joking about you know, their drinking they were going to do. But yeah, so well, didn't the owners party. have luxury cars, like on trains and things like that? They did. They had private railroad cars. The Riddle had, Riddles had one and the Ross family. And, yeah, that's they came with an entourage um, in their private cars. It, it must have been quite a scene. And uh, the track itself, as you've described, it, yeah, the word dingy came up. 
um, <laughs> along with wilderness. But they made, you got to give them credit, they really made an effort. They put on a lot of fresh paint. They had um, cloth bunting on the boxes, like in the yellow and gold, and uh, yellow and gold, black and gold, black and yellow of the Riddle Stable, and black and orange of the Ross Stable. Um, and they made actually uh, private. They were described in the papers as bungalows. I think compound might be closer, you know, little private stables for Man of War and Sir Barton uh, to accommodate them and their staff um, with an eight-foot-tall fence and barbed wire around each yeah. one. Yeah. So uh, because there were really, you know, this was the same year as the Black Sox scandal in baseball. And uh, there were some very serious gambling things going on. Oh, I'm sorry. It was a year after. The the Black Sox, Sox scandal was 1919. But this still was still fresh in their mind, yes. It, it, exactly. The fallout was, you know, pretty recent. And um, so there was a lot of talk about some of the suspicious characters who might be interested because Man of War was a very heavy favorite, as great as Sir Barton was. And uh, maybe Jennifer and I will come to blows over that. You know, she will be defending Sir Barton's honor, I'm Good. sure. I like it. I like it. <laughs> a cat but, fight at 11 in the morning. Okay. Yeah, possibly, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, yeah, the Man of War's people were super confident, and he was a heavy favorite. And, um, you know, so what gambling-wise, if you're in that situation, well, what's going to benefit you? You're not making money on Man of War, mm, but what if Man of War lost? So, um, you know, they had their protective measures in place, uh, including friends of Mr. Riddle um, armed with guns around the clock. As, yeah, as well I understand. The, the, I've read about the barbed wire and stuff, but they actually had armed guards protecting the horses. I, but, I you know, think back that, in those days, I mean, you know, I don't like to say this about racing, but you know, some people were nefarious, and they, you know, if, if they thought they could make a couple thousand dollars off it, they'd send some guy over in the middle of the night to put some sleeping pills in one some horse's bucket, you know? Oh, they had all sorts of methods, and that's a whole you know, digression in itself. Um, but yeah, I, I think it says something that the riddles didn't even completely trust the official guards. It's like, yep, friends of the family are going to be there too, <laughs> you know, packed and, and loaded. Um, so yeah, what an atmosphere. I, I really feel it's almost as if we're going to the party a hundred years late. It, just, Revisiting all of this, you know, picturing how much the same, I, I think, you know, the racetrack people would feel right at home. If you love re racing now, you would find, yep, these are my people. You know, we're 100 years apart, but I recognize these people. You know, these are us. Um, so, so it does feel kind of like reviving, recreating a little of that, just talking about it. Well, um, um Again, anybody that knows anything about Man of War knows that he won the race. But what I didn't realize mm -hmm. was, like Secretariat did to Sham, he broke that horse's heart, and the great Sir Barton never won another race. Well, it's it's true, and it makes you think some about how, oh, how can I put this, um the extreme demand that a match race can be. And 
you know, I, I'm thinking now ahead to War Admiral, for example, and the mm-hmm. possibly now even more famous match race um, with Seabiscuit. I'm thinking now how there were two races of the century within a short period of time in the 20th century, you know, Man of War versus Sir Barton and then uh, Seabiscuit versus War Admiral. But it, War Admiral did have two more races after that, and he did win them both. But they were relatively minor, and then he had an injury, and, you know, he, he yeah. was never back to the top of his glory days. So I'm I'm feeling for Sir Barton because... Um, you know, maybe he le- needed a longer vacation, for example, after the Man of War experience. Maybe if they had right. just turned him out for the year, that would have been a good thing. Um, but, you know, what a different mindset in some ways in those days, too, when you think about how often horses typically raced. Well, Dorothy, and, my, my yeah. producer's telling me we got only about a minute or so left. So you you have you have whetted my interest. Where <laughs> does one go to find Manowar, a legend like lightning? Well, Amazon's probably the easiest place. But of course if you have a favorite bookshop of your own, um, they, you may be able to order it online from them or request them to order it because uh, going, you know, keep your neighborhood shops alive. Well, so. in, in, in parting, Dorothy, ours, uh, there's several books out there on Man of War. Why is yours different? I think possibly because of time, because Many of them that were done at any length were back in the 1940s, 1950 sort of era. And then there's one that Ed Bowen did for the Thoroughbred Legends series that is quite good, but it's small. You know, it was the format of that series is it's relatively short. Right, I've got it. So So this is a deeper dive, and it's also got the perspective of, you know, uh, being several decades afterward. And having a more complete look at the lifespans of the participants and so on. Well, uh, I'm looking forward to the read. uh, And uh, I thank you very much uh, for joining us. And want to remind our audience again that that tomorrow, you know, after you've had your breakfast, walk the dog or whatever your schedule is in the morning, 11 a.m., we'll get to hear a both, both of these authors uh, talk about uh, the race itself, 100 years after it happened. And uh, I want to see what develops from that conversation. I'm sure it'll be pleasant. Uh, you know, I've uh, had the chance now to interview the both of you. Great people. Uh, and, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, I, I'm looking forward to it, Dorothy. And I, I wish you the best. And I understand there's other books that are going to be coming. So remember the name Dorothy Hours, everybody, because she'll soon be on a variety of radio show and a radio near you. <laughs> oh, dear. Recreating theater pieces from decades ago. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks, Dorothy. Uh, say hi to Jennifer for me. And, Thank uh, you, I, John. I, it was a pleasure having you on, and I wish you guys nothing but the best tomorrow. Thank you, John. Uh, We will take it to heart. (laughs) All right. That was Dorothy Hours, uh, the author of Man of War, A Legend Like Lightning. Now we're going to take a quick break, and we're going to be back with the man that gives racing flight, none other than Eric Wing. 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. And they're off. What? Can't make it to the track? You can still get all the action with WinningPonies.com, the home of the easy win form. The most accurate predictions on thoroughbreds, quarters, and Arabian horses at most American and Canadian tracks. Whether it be the Triple Crown, Breeders' Cup, Travers, Haskell, or your daily races, don't worry. Let WinningPonies.com make some money for you. Pick, bet, and cheer on live racing from Woodbine and Mohawk Park. Thoroughbred and harness action. The wagers are just the beginning. Watch award-winning broadcasts covering both breeds. Incredible battles contested over the most unique grass course in North America. Experience the full fields with over 130 thoroughbred and 160 live harness days. Get access to free handicapping material and join the ranks of Woodbine and Mohawk Park players from all over the globe. For more information, visit woodbine.com. Follow the Voice America Variety Channel on Twitter. Our hosts always have something to say, and we know that you do too. We tweet on today's hot topics, and you're welcome to follow us. Speak up and join in at Voice AM Variety. That's at Voice AM Variety. These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. You're tuned in to Winning Ponies with your host, John Inglehart, racing's regular guy. The phone lines are open and are toll-free, 1-866-472-5788, or send us an email at show at winningponies.com. John and our guests are looking forward to hearing from you. Have any tips or comments you'd like to share? Any questions we would be happy to answer? Contact us. Now, back to the show. Winning Ponies with John Inglehart. All right, and with me, a man that is no stranger to winning ponies or picking winners at the races, none other than Eric Wing, who now heads up the information age at Horse Tourneys. Eric, how are you doing? I'm well, John. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. Uh, you know, 2020 has been such a blanked up year. I mean, it, it is just, uh, it, it's taking me out of my biorhythms and, and everything else. Uh, and a big part of it is because the whole racing game's been reshuffled. It's like, I just keep trying to, I'm, feel like I'm paddling and I'm getting nowhere. I'm trying to go upstream uh, because it's like, okay, what's next? Okay. Oh, now we got to worry about the bridge cup. Oh, the, uh, the triple crown. Uh, oh, the last triple crown race is, is, is on October 3rd. I mean, it was, it's just really hard uh, to, to keep things in order. Is your life in the mayhem that mine is? Uh, yes. Especially with respect to time for me, uh, other than the kind of, uh, out of sync triple crown racing has sort of served as the the one of the rare areas of normalcy in that it's been uh going on and and entertaining and 
occupying the minds of of all of us, even when almost nothing else in the world was. So in that respect, it's been great. Yes, for sure, the Triple Crown uh, series, <laughs> Belmont Derby, Preakness in that strange order, that was odd, but um, a small price to pay, I think, for the entertainment we've had uh, during these otherwise desolate and, uh, as you probably more uh, eloquently put it, uh, blanked up year. <laughs> eloquently. Thank you very much, Eric. I'll, I'll, I'll take it. Well, in this uh, odd year, you know, with the Triple Crown going the way it was, as it turns out, we had a different winner of every race. And in years past, we've seen where those three winners might match up in, let's say, the Traverse Stakes. I was at one that I believe Runaway Groon won, that the winners of the Preakness and the Derby and the Belmont were all in there. Um, so we got three separate winners. Eric, uh, I'm telling you what, you know, one of the joys I've had this year was last week's Preakness Stakes. I mean, that was horse racing at its best. Uh, to see Swiss Skydiver, who you know had the lead, all of a sudden get eyeballed by Kentucky Derby winner Authentic, who for a brief period looked like he was going by, and the Philly Swiss Skydiver just looked—you could see it. She looked him in the eyeball. She said, "No, nope, I was born to run, baby, and let's run all the way to the wire," and got the job done. I mean, you know what? I'm looking at my arms right now, and I got chills. That was a great race. It was a great race, and uh, it, it almost brought back slight memories to me of when Rags to Riches held on at the end of the Belmont Stakes in whatever year it was. I want to say 2006, but that might be off. Um, that you know, that kind of excitement. Um, that's kind of supercharged when there's a Philly taking on the boys in one of those, uh, in any big race, but especially one of the American classics in a, a triple crown race like that. It was certainly one of the more thrilling moments of the 2020 racing season. It was, it was. And now, uh, depending on you know who you listen to, you know, uh, Swiss skydivers either going to go in the disc staff or I know uh, Peter Callahan's thinking about, taking the boys on the Breeders' Cup Classic after she uh, beat the boys in the Preakness. But let's remember, the, these were three-year-olds. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, while she get a minor weight concession, uh, it, it could be a different group that shows up uh, for the uh, Breeders' Cup Classic at uh, Spectatorless Keeneland. Yeah, and, you know, distance is going to be a factor for them to weigh as well, a mile and an eighth in the distaff versus a mile and a quarter in the uh, classic, you know, she did not win the Alabama, which was at a mile and a quarter. So, um, and, and, you know, who, who the prospective fields are for the respective races. So a lot to think about. Uh, I, I don't care if Swiss, if Swiss Skydiver runs 10th out of 10 in whichever race, what a great year she's had hopscotching around the country to all these oh. racetracks and uh, you know, even the notion of her running tenth in a field of ten is a little hard to hard to imagine, given how consistent and how she seems to, you know, fire her best shot just about every time out. Well, uh, yeah, and, and I mean, her last—I'm going to say nine, maybe ten races now—were all in 
graded stakes races. And she holds a record of five victories from ten lifetime starts, but uh, she she didn't uh, she didn't dodge anybody. Now she did lose the the Kentucky Oaks uh, <clears throat> to uh, she shares the devil. Is that it? And uh, but she don't. In fact, she won the Alabama at a mile and a quarter and, and recorded her best buyer. Although I, I don't have the buyer of uh, the Preakness. Though I think it was probably pretty quick, um, it, it'll be interesting. I hope she stays against the girls myself, um, but we'll find out. You know, McPeak is so loaded; he ended up running one two in the Alcibiades, so he's got two two year old fillies getting ready to come up. It, 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 it's just like uh, Kenny's blessed, but you know what? He does the work himself. He picks these horses up for thirty five thousand, fifty thousand money you and I don't have to spend, but at the level he plays the game, those are minor league uh, prices. And Kenny's still able to come back. He's got a great eye for horses. He's the guy that picked out Curlin. I mean, he, he knows how to find him. But I digress. Obviously, I'm a fan of the horse. I'm a fan of the trainer. And uh, so, enough said, John. A- anyhow, um, apologies for that gaffe about uh, uh, Swiss skydiver winning the gra- the the mile and a quarter Alabama, by the way, I must have been thinking of the Kentucky Oaks. But anyway, thanks for the uh, cleanup on that, John. Well, you would have done it for me, so I appreciate that. Uh, but we'll find out. They go against the boys, they go against the boys. You know, again, I think there's like a $2 million difference in the purse. So that gives you a couple of reasons to go that way. Um, and, uh, you know, being in Kentucky, Kennedy's not far from his home base. So... You know, it'll be a comfortable van ride over to Keeneland when the time comes. Uh, she's probably bedded down there now for all I know. But uh, uh, nonetheless, uh, you, you are you are kind of the main man at, at horse tourneys. And this is something I try to tell our players who are getting their feet wet. You know, like you talked about earlier, Eric Wing, um, the exposure that racing's had because of this weird year we're having um a lot of people are saying more people are watching racing ever and so now we got to you know take them by the hand and you know teach them a little bit about what's going on and what's great is if some of these people whetted their appetite a little bit with wagering um we've got a good tool for them with our easy win forms and you have a great platform for them to kind of get involved in handicapping contests because you don't have to have a thousand dollars to get into a good contest. Uh, c- kind of tell us what's coming up this weekend, you know, before we get into these races from Belmont park. Well, we've got big games that range in entry fee level from basically $8 all the way up to a thousand or more dollars. So if you want to play on a, on a high end level, you can, if you just want to dip your toes in the water and, and have fun in a contest format where it's you against five or 10 or 20 or 50 others uh, with uh, according uh, prices paid out accordingly, prizes paid out accordingly, you can do it that way for a lot of fun and not a lot of money. We've got a $25,000 guaranteed game on Saturday. That's 260 to play. We have a $75 qualifier where if you win or come in second, you go to the NHC in Las Vegas next year. 
So, and that's on Friday, and and a lot of uh, cheaper games and and ten thousand, fifteen thousand dollar games. There's a lot to play uh, for, and and a lot of choice in in which tracks you can play. Single track games, you can play multi track games with like a few races from three different tracks. Uh, really, you kind of figure out what suits you best, and then uh, play it from there. Well, it, it's a great deal you got going. Well. Um, let's move on. We got four races to look at. Uh, two of them are for two-year-olds, so there's not as much to talk about. So we will start with the legendary Jockey Club Gold Cup. And I forgot to grab my racing manual before the show. Um, I used to like it when, at least in the form, they would, would always say the 110th running of the Jockey Club Gold Cup. They, they don't do that anymore, I guess, because sponsorship and so many different names have been moved around and stuff like that. But, I mean, the Jockey Club Gold Cup is, uh, you know, kind of a standard of, uh, you know, three-year-olds and up this time of year. Because a lot of times this is when, you know, three-year-olds are stepping out of their borders a little bit. Now, <clears throat> surprisingly, for a quarter million dollars and a win in your in race, and this is the last go round, I believe, for the Breeders' Cup chances, is uh, I was very surprised that it was a short field. Um, but yeah. we do have a three-year-old who's gotten better and better every start, is undefeated in in Happy Saver. But he's going to be tackling some other sources. Another three-year-old by the name of Mystic Guide uh, seems to be rounding into form, has never really had a bad race. Uh, he's just coming off a win in the prestigious Jim Dandy stakes. Um, and uh, it'll be a jockey change here. Jose Ortiz will be uh, replaced by John Velasquez. Nothing wrong with that. But Jose Ortiz is riding the horse that I've either won or lost several bets on. I've been a fan of this horse. Oh, my God. I mean, going back to, like, the Tampa Bay Derby and the Wood Memorial, uh, his name is Tacitus. Um, Tappet, who had a sensational weekend uh, in graded stakes races, um, is the sire of this horse. He's out of a multiple graded stakes winner, close hatchet, uh, homebred at Judmont Farm. Um, I, I, I'm finding a real hard time getting around him on, unless one of the upstarts I just mentioned jumps up and has a huge race with the four-pound weight break. Yeah, there are uh, a few picking up big weight, and I hate horses picking up weight going a mile and a quarter. And that said, I'm going to go with prioritize to turn the tables on Tacitus uh, after running um, third behind Tacitus's second in the Woodward. Prioritize just had a ridiculous trip in uh, going four or five wide around the first turn in a five-horse field in the Woodward. Uh, jockey change from Eric Cancel to Luis Saez. Um, if that 11-pound increase doesn't knock him down, I'm telling you, John, prioritize was coming to pick up Tacitus in the lane at the end of the uh, of the Woodward. And if uh, with just a more normal trip, I think prioritize is a good gamble versus Tacitus in, in the Jockey Club Gold Cup. By the way, right. one little thing about Happy Saver to watch for. He's one of these horses that never looks comfortable during the race. You know when you say, like, oh, shoot, my jockey's already asking my horse and they're only on the back stretch? That's Happy Saver. So we'll see if he um, has to be nudged along the whole way around like, like has been the case in his recent races. 
All right. Set your clock, Eric. We got a minute per race to get out of here. The got Flower it. Bowl, another race that has produced a lot of champions over the years. It's the rare mile and a quarter on the inner turf. And the one thing I always look at is who these horses have been running against. Cambier Park. Uh, comes way up as far as the competition, but it's only run once this year. But for a first start, that wasn't a bad one in the grade two Canadian, even though he went off odds on. And uh, this civil union just looks like he's a Shug McGee trainee, five-year-old war front that's only made seven starts, but just seems to be getting a little bit better, a little bit better, a little bit better. Uh, so you, you can't throw civil there. And I believe my sister, Nat from the Chad Brown barn. I mean, uh, this is a competitive race and throw in nay, lady, nay. And I talked more than your 30 seconds. <laughs> T- toughest race of the four, I think, to handicap conclusively. Civil Union seems to face two or three Chad Brown runners every time out like he will Saturday. And, and he always seems to be, uh, she always seems to beat them. I'll take a chance with, uh, with nay, lady, nay, who is dropping three pounds off a strong race in the all along when she was dogged by her stablemate the whole way around. But I'm not very confident in this race, and your your thoughts are as good as mine in this one. All right. Well, that doesn't say much for my thoughts. Anyhow, uh, moving down uh, to the fifth race, uh, this is uh, winning your end for the Phillies going a mile. It's the Frizette, and uh, I'll be pulling for a day out of the office myself. I thought you would with the Ohio training. The thing that worries me about her, John, is that one-month gap in works. Uh, after winning the Schuylerville, she worked twice and then sat out for a month, August 16th to September 16th. That scares me a little. I'm surprised Cantata's the 9-5 to five favorite. She won a slow maiden race. Give me Vquist, the second choice, who won a fast grade one spinaway at Saratoga. Absolutely. And in doing so, she turned back a two-time Ohio Bread Stakes winner, Esplanade. Just thought I'd throw that in there. And uh, the grade one champagne, quarter million dollars, up for grabs. Who do we like in here? Jackie's Warrior certainly looks like uh, he'll have a target on his back. Jackie's Warrior, the deserving favorite. She's by, uh, he's by McLean's Music, uh, Reinvested Risk. Uh, is by Upstart. Give me Midnight Bourbon, number six, who's by Tis Now, and uh, I think his jockey pushed the button too soon last time out at Churchill. I like the jo- the change to Jose Ortiz, and I think Midnight Bourbon's live at a price in the champagne. All right. Well, this wouldn't be the first time that Eric Wing gave us a price. Eric, you're doing a great job at horse tourneys. I get your emails every day giving me updates on the different games that you're playing. So keep doing what you're doing. And I got your phone number. You can't get rid of me now, my friend. Oh, I don't plan to get rid of you, um, John. So no, keep calling anytime. It's always my pleasure. All right, Eric Wing uh, from Horse Tourneys with us. Don't forget, pull down those easy win forms. We keep having good week after week. Uh, I want to thank Dorothy Hours. Remember, uh, go to the National uh, Racing Museum uh, website, and you'll be able to pull down the conversation between uh, Dorothy and Jennifer Kelly. Uh, Meanwhile, I want to thank all you for listening. Uh, Continue to spread the word about the show. And if you like this one, tell your friends, hey, It's up on podcast at winningponies.com. For my producer, Josh, I'm John Engelhart. When you go to the races, bet with your head, not over it. 
Thanks for listening to Winning Ponies with John Englehart. We hope the information from today's show will benefit you at the next post. Join us for more insight next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time, 5 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Variety Channel. Also, look for our weekly newsletter. Have a great week, and may your photos always be winners.